one will be in Daniel for a couple of weeks. And I'm just going to deal with the background today. All right? So that's all I'm preaching today is the background. Amen? I'm going to preach the background to this series. Amen? All right. Um, I want to look at Daniel chapter 1. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the, his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he sought them, to, and he, he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, little g. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God, little g. Then the king ordered Asphanaz, the, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, listen to this, including some of the what? Royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good looking, like past, uh, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered them to teach them, listen to this, the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration, watch this, from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And he appointed that they should be what? Educated what? Three years and at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. Verse 6. Now among them from the sons of Judah were, were Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Then the command of the official assigned what? New names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah Shadrach, and to Michelle Meshach, and to Azariah a bad negro, I mean a bendigo. Amen. I want to talk about this morning making the best of a bad situation. I want to talk about life-changing choices. That's my new series. Life-changing choices. Making the best of a bad situation. Many of us, uh, sometimes we, we wish <clears throat> that our situations in life were better. The last year and a half, going on two years, we as a country, we've been in a bad situation. From all of the things that has happened, from a president who we weren't sure of, to now we're still not sure of, to all the things that has happened and is happening, sometimes you wonder when the thing is going to really change. It seems like the older you get, Sometimes the worst things get. But yet, in the midst of all our situations, some of us, we may daydream. We may even hope, even living vicariously through someone else or something else so that we can escape the reality of what we're dealing with. We've all faced bad situations in life. Amen. But I believe in this series, as I kick this series off, I believe that our choices 
And the first choice I believe that you and I have to get good with is the choice of acceptance. The choice of acceptance says that no matter what it looks like, I accept what I'm facing. Most of the times people live in, in, in a fantasy or in a reality that's not real. They have an epistemology that's not based on biblical standards or biblical basis. And they are living in such a way where their truth is not really reality. I'm getting ready to teach a class on philosophy. And Plato put it like this. Amen. He says, how do you really know what's reality or what's true? And so in the same wise, I believe that you and I have to understand that no matter how bad a situation may be, it does not define the ulti ultimately your whole life. I believe that even in bad situations, we can find some good. James chapter 1 says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But listen to this. We find in this passage, in this dispensation, in this time, God now has dealt with Israel for a very long time. And God now in his patience is now allowing them to go through a bad situation. In our passage today, we see that there are some Hebrew boys who are affected by the decisions of the generation before. Do you not know that whatever decisions we make now as a church, as a people, will affect the next generation that comes? This book is written around September 605 B.C. Daniel is 16 years old. Little is known about his background, but we know that he's not written, never referred to as a prophet, but Jesus in Matthew 24 refers to him as a prophet. He was a prophet only privately that he would relate dreams. As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to teach a little bit about that because I got a lot of Christians who believe in dreams. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Daniel was also a historical figure. A person, not a fictional character. So everything that we will learn about Daniel going forward is fact, not fiction. Daniel was born into a royal family. I told him I'm giving you the backdrop. He was born into a royal family, and in this royal family, Daniel possessed abilities that some, the average person didn't have. You see, God knows who to bless with what. I wish I had somebody. You see, in this time, Israel had gotten so big. They had gotten so depraved. They had forsaken their God, the God that brought them out of Egypt. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied that this would happen. Jeremiah said that 70 years they would go into captivity. 70 long, hard years. But God said in his mercy, that even though you're going to go into Babylon for 70 years, even though you're going to lose your freedom, you got to make a bit the best of a bad situation. I wish I had somebody. God said, what I want you to do is I want you to go in there and I want you to build houses. 
I want you to get married. I want you to settle in because this will be your year of life, your way of life. For, for 70 years, you will no longer be free, but you will be a prisoner to Babylon. But there are consequences that come with it. We find that Nebuchadnezzar took these young boys at 16 years old. At the end of the reign of, of Nebuchadnezzar, King Cyrus, the Persians, take over next. Daniel now is 85 years old when he faces another dilemma. You see, sometimes you can say, man, I'm doing all the right things for God. And yet it seems like my life just keeps going on the roller coaster up and down. But can I tell you something? That does not give you and I the right not to continue to make right choices. You see, the choices you make under pressure will determine, watch this, what you believe and who you really believe. Daniel, who wrote an apocalyptic literature, that means that he received God's truths in visions, see, in dreams. He was one of the ones that God related his dream, his, his truth through dreams. Now, God operates differently in this dispensation. God operates now because he's given all the revelation that he's going to give he gives it now in this book. Amen. This is a powerful book, the Bible. Daniel is taken to cap into captivity. His life, can you imagine he lived in royalty? The Bible says that in verse 1, so the first thing we see, number 1, if you want to write it down, verses 1 and 2, we see that, we see, first thing is the situation. Tell your neighbor the situation. Before you make choices and before you make, you know, the best of a bad situation, you got to understand, tell your neighbor, understand the situation. Amen. The Bible says in the third year of King, the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, Judah was the last tribe that actually survived out of the 12. Do you all know that? The tribe of Judah. The only tribe that survived. Amen. But he says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He didn't just come to Jerusalem. He came with force. He came to conquer. He came to kill. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. Can I help you something? The king of Babylon is still coming after us. Come on, somebody. And here's the thing about God's people. We got to understand that the enemy is always at our doorsteps trying to bring us into captivity. Tell your neighbor the situation. The Bible says in verse 2, then the Lord gave, not notice this, the Lord gave. I want to help somebody with something. Stop telling people what you think the Lord is doing and get the facts. See, the Lord is not just going to bless you indeed, and the Lord is not just going to just allow good things to happen all the time. God has to allow some things, some bad situations. And then for us to make the right choices in a bad situation. Do I have anybody? 
The Bible says the situation is like this. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand, into his hand, also with some of the what? The vessels of the house of God. Come on, somebody. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. In other words, they took the vessels from the true and living God and brought it to the God, the, the, the temple where they would worship idols. God's holy things. This is why I'm saying everything in the house of God, as long as it touched the house of God, is sacred, including you. You now are that temple in Christ. We now are that temple. And so we got to be careful where we put ourselves. We could put ourselves next to the God of Babylon, or we could put ourselves back into the house of God. Are you with me? But God allowed this to happen because God needed to do this to get Israel's attention. Do I have anybody? Now, how would you feel about that when you have served God all your life and then all of a sudden you're in a bad situation? This literature gives little revelation of God's program for his future, for the future Israel, but we find that the king, it starts with the leadership. The king was given over first. And if you look at verse 3 now. Well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on real quick before we go to verse 3. The situation is this. When we disobey God and when we get into our bad situation, we should not complain. We should accept responsibility for what we have done or what we have indirectly got involved in. Or you may be saying, Pastor, I didn't do nothing. And you may be absolutely right. But here's the thing. So go the head, so go everybody else. Are you with me? And so the situation is this. God now has given his word to Jeremiah and now God is delivering on his word to Jeremiah. Are you with me? The one thing you got to understand about God, whenever you read this word, you got to understand that whatever he promises, good, bad, or indifferent, he will bring it to pass. So that's the situation. Let's look at now the strategy. The strategy. Look at verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, look what he says. He says, I want you to bring some of who? The sons of Israel, including the what? The royal family. Watch this. And of the nobles, youths. See, the devil is after our youth. The devil is after the men. But the devil is after the royalty. Watch this. The Bible says that you and I are a chosen race. A chosen people. A royal priesthood. See, see, here's the thing. Sometimes we don't realize that the reason we're being targeted is because of who we belong to now. 
You thought it was because of this, that, and the third, but no, it's because of who we belong to. We belong to Christ. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And here's what I found out about the enemy's strategy. He's always after God's people. Amen. But he's going to start with the youth. If you can destroy the next generation by destroying the youth, they don't know how to read. Come on, somebody. They don't know how to do anything else other than hang in the streets. You find them saying pop firecrackers and do drugs and all this other stuff. And that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy's strategy is always to attack the younger, the weaker. You understand what I'm saying? But watch the text, though. But also those belonging to royalty. Can I tell you something? His strategy is, is still working today. The king chose these youths based on their qualities. Look at their qualities. Text says not only that. See, what I found out is this. The enemy knows you. He knows you're smart. He knows your potential. This is why you got to make the choice to make the best. Come on, somebody. Of a bad situation. See, watch this. The enemy knows your potential. He knows that you have something to offer. So what is his strategy, saints? He's going to consistently try to pull you into captivity. He's going to consistently, listen, he's not targeting those who want to do good. He's not targeting those who want to serve God. He's not targeting those who are committed, who are called. No, he's not targeting those. Who, he's not targeting those who are not committed, those who don't care about anything, those who are just sitting by the wayside of life. He is looking for you and I who are trying our very best to live this Christian life. Do I have anybody? So he wants to destroy your marriage. So he wants to destroy your ministry. So he wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your finances. And guess what? He definitely wants to destroy your faith. Are y'all with me this morning? Are we, are we still? Okay, good. All right, watch this. He said, now, watch this. In no defect. Or who were what? Good looking? You know why he did that? You know why, what he's looking at right here? You know what, what he's really alluding to? He wanted the youth who were sure of themselves. He didn't have to pump them up, didn't have to build them up, because their self-esteem was already there. See, the devil knows, and he has a strategy, y'all. Watch this. He also wanted, watch this, watch his watch strategy. His strategy is this. Find the ones who are, watch this, intelligent in every branch of wisdom. Watch this. Endowed with what? Understanding, discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's what? Court. I'm going to say it one more time. He wanted to pull them from serving God, the true and living God, to serving a man. The king's court. But where did he started training them? He started training them when they were about this small. He started training them in their youth so that when they became men, they would be committed to him. 
Watch the text. The text says, and he ordered them not only to serve them, but to teach them the literature. In other words, the enemy is working the same way today. Here's how he's working. The enemy is trying to indoctrinate us with his literature and his language. I've seen so many people who can talk worldly talk, but they can't talk nothing about the Bible. They know nothing about the kingdom. They know, listen, that's what they want to do to your children in church, in school. They, the strategy is still working. Netflix, on-demand TV. If the devil can erase all of your biblical knowledge, he will keep us entertained with his literature, with his language, and replace biblical literature and language with worldly stuff. Magazines, social media. Watch the text. Take these young men, change their language, change their literature. Come on, somebody. Watch the text now. Change their language, change their literature. Watch this. And then they will forget all about their God. Can I help you with something? Here's how you make the best of a bad situation. You stay committed to your word. Listen, balance between the world's literature, the world's language. Amen. Some of us don't even know where Ezekiel is. Some of us know nothing much about the word until we became adults. Do I have anybody? I'm trying to help somebody today. Satan's strategy right now is to indoctrinate you. He wants you to spend hours upon hours upon hours doing nothing, filling your mind with nothing, filling your mind with CSI. Amen. Filling your mind with the next latest series so that you will not be indoctrinated with the word of God that can help you make the best hey, of a bad situation. Universities, universities today are, are tearing apart Christians today. You know why? Because most Christians have a weak faith. Most Christians today cannot stand and defend what they believe because they don't know why they believe. They believe because mama believed. They believe because granny believed. But I stopped by to tell you there are three Hebrew boys here who were in a bad situation, but the choices they made made them different even in captivity. You see, some of us may say, I ain't got no choice, Pastor. I have to do this. Or I have to read that. Or I have to go through that class that's telling me it's okay to cohabit without getting married. It's okay to have sex out of wedlock. It's okay to shack up. That's what they're teaching at universities today. But I stop by to tell you, if you keep the word in your heart, it will keep you from making a bad decision 
in a bad situation. Are you with me? The Bible says in verse 5, the king then, not only does the devil want to indoctrinate us with his language and his literature. Watch this. Y'all better pay attention, man. This, this stuff is deep, man. Watch this. Watch this. But look at verse 5. The king then appointed them, appointed for them a daily ration of what? The king's what? Huh. To write this down. The situation. The strategy. But write this down. The seduction. The seduction. Tell your neighbor making the best of a bad situation. Now in your mind, because you came from royalty, and because you were one of the noblemen's son, you would say to yourself, we're accustomed to this. The king's choice food, and watch this. The king, whatever you get from the king's table, it comes with a price. I'm going to say it one more time. Some of us, uh, we want to pay the price to sit at the table. But the price ultimately will cost you your life. Okay, because once you're done, now here's the thing. You got to remember something about the Hebrews. They were commanded by God not to eat unclean food. The reason they lived a long time is not simply because, not only because God ordained them to live a long time, but because their diet was on point. They didn't eat processed food, sugar, fried chicken, fried chicken, fried chicken, fried chicken, burgers. All right? They, they, they had a diet that God gave them in the book of Leviticus, the book of Exodus. God told them, don't eat anything unclean from the king's table because it went against God's dietary laws. Now, the king now, he wanted to indoctrinate them with literature, language, but he wanted to intoxicate them, amen, with food that will make them fat, lazy, and bring about all types of diseases What do you think is happening in America right now, y'all? I'm hungry. Fast food. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. I don't feel like cooking tonight. Fast food. Now you say, you say, I ain't no bad situation. Take good. But fast forward the story now. You're in your 40s. In your 50s, you spent most of your adult life at the king's table because now you've, you're educated. 
You're well read. But you're overweight. You're intoxicated. You've been seduced. You don't fast. You don't pray to your God. Because like everybody else, what do you do when you go into captivity? It's about survival. And so the only way to survive is to sell out and stay at the king's table rather than trust God to provide all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Many of us have been seduced by the enemy. The text says not only that, but look what he says. He says the king's choice food. What else? And from the choice wine, which he drank. So in other words, you're thinking, man, I got the best life. But hold on a minute. You're not free. So the question is, can I ask you a question? Are you one of those people who compromise because of your bad situation? Are you one of those who make choices in a bad situation that puts you at the king's table because you're just about survival? Can I ask you a question? Is that really all you're doing in life? Food, clothing, and shelter? I told you last week, Matthew 6.33, if you seek first, if you make that choice, he will take care of you. Watch the text. What would you do if you were put in that situation? Would you choose the king's wine, food, and look what it said. And they appointed them that they should be educated, what, three years. They're going to get an associate's degree plus one year. And at the end, which, at the end which they were to enter into the king's personal service. When you're in a situation at times, a bad situation, we may feel that this is the only way. But I stopped by to tell you that the Bible says this, that there's no temptation that has overtaken you but that which is common to man. And God with the situation, I'm going to say it one more time, with the situation, good, bad, or indifferent, will give you a way of what? Escape. Listen, don't be that kind of people who when you get in a bad situation, you sell out your faith because you want to survive in your bad situation. Literature, language, intoxication, re-education, they're re-educating them to secular beliefs. Tell your neighbor, this is what the enemy is doing today. In universities, in street corners, kindergarten, elementary, middle school, junior high, and then the workplace. Re-educate you. Do you not know that every time you come into this church and you walk out that door on Sunday mornings and Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights, watch this, that you are in a battle for what you just learned? 
So they send you off to training in Idaho <laughs> to re-educate you, to keep you from believing that this is real. I got one more point. I got to go. Verse 6. You ready? So we have the situation. We have the strategy. No, we have the sit. What we have? The, the situation. The strategy. The seduction. And tell your neighbor now, the stealing. The stealing of your identity. Oh, man, I've seen so many people get got. Don't let the devil steal your identity just because you're in a bad situation. Okay? Watch the text. Now, among them, sons of Judah were what? Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and what? Azariah. What did the commander assign to them? So, hold on a minute. First of all, their identity their beliefs. Here's the thing. Their names were a reminder of what God meant to them. Now in their current situation, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to wipe out everything that made them what they were before they got there. Didn't he not understand that the reason why they had their intelligence, the reason why they were good looking, the reason why they were all that is because God was blessing them? The next thing they did was change their names. Take their name. First of all, Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Write it down. His new name, Belteshazzar, look what it means. It meant protect him or his life. That Baal, the pagan god, would protect his life. Hananiah's name meant Yah has been gracious. His new name meant I am fearful of the little G God. Michelle's name was who is what God is. Azariah, his new name meant servant, amen, of the Babylonian god Negro or Negro, amen. Listen, what they did by changing their names is to erase everything. They stole their identity. Can I ask you a question? In your situation, have you lost yourself? Have you forgotten who you are? Have you been at the king's table so long that you're so drunk with his food and his wine that you think you're out, only out for survival and not to carry out God's will for your life? story was told of a man who went to a ball game, baseball game, and uh, the Milwaukee Brewers and the New York Mets. Uh, the Brewers were the home team, and many people sat in the stands hoping to catch a home run ball. 
Actually, most baseball fans, amen, desire to go home with the home run ball. On this particular day, the New, York's Met, the New York Met hit a home run into the stands, and one of the Brewers fans caught the ball and then threw it back on the field. First, it was people were shocked, like, man, why, why would you do that? One person asked another person, why would you do it? He told him, he said, well, here's the deal. He said, although the fan desired the home run ball, she threw it back because she only wanted the one that was hit to her from the home team. You see, in life, things are always thrown at us. But if you get anything that doesn't come from God, throw it back. Tell your neighbor, throw it back. Tell your neighbor, throw it back. Tell your neighbor, throw it back. Because if it ain't from God, you ought to throw it back. Making the best of a bad situation. Now, next week, we'll look at the decision that Daniel and his boys made. Amen? Come on, give God a hand clap of praise, y'all. Amen. Amen.